Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. And thank you for being here. Um, it is the honor of my life to get to share um, spaces like this um, with those that are interested in, in learning more about who Jesus is and who God is. And it's my heart for you today, and I genuinely believe this. And um, this sounds like preacher rhetoric, but I, I've just seen it too many times not to believe it. I don't think there's a person in this space that has to leave the same way you came in. And it's not because you've experienced an amazing church or a brilliant speaker or um, an incredible band. Um, although the band is, is pretty good, aren't they, this morning? Yeah, we love you guys, thank you. Um, but it's because, it's because you've stepped into a storyline that God is writing in this city, in this nation, um, but I hope your eyes are open to see the storyline that's being written about your life. And the wild thing about that is you don't even have to know there's a storyline being written, but once you're aware, things start to change for you. And I like to, I like to liken it to an, an awakening. It's like you're waking up. And for the first time, you realize there's a purpose to the pain. There's a purpose to the challenge. The things that I do have, the blessings that I walk in and live in, they're not empty. They're there for a purpose as well. And when you start to see this storyline and live for something more, everything starts to change. And today for you, Whatever brought you in this space, it's, uh, I've heard some crazy reasons people come to church. <laughs> Whatever brought you in this space, you may not even be glad you're here. Someone who loves you may have made you come here today. Whatever the reason uh, is kind of irrelevant here because we're going to spend the next half hour, 45 minutes talking about ideas that have the potential to impact your life. And if you could see these ideas as seeds and you are not a um, you are not an inactive participant today in what happens, but the what you do in your mind and in your heart, Jesus liked to call that soil. What you do that with the soil of your soul is actually going to determine what the seed of these ideas or these thoughts produce in your life. Does that make sense? So I could, I could, I could say something extraordinary for once in my life. And if the soil of your heart isn't ready or isn't prepared or willing to embrace that idea, then it's not going to do anything in your heart or in your mind. But if your soil, if the soil of your mind and your heart is prepared to receive the word of God today, 
you can find in the middle of some of, of my inability to communicate perfectly or eloquently enough or your language or your heart ideas, if you can find the word of God in the middle of all of that and you prepare a place in your heart and mind to receive it, something can change and shift in your life. And I've seen it too many times to not be convinced of that fact. So what I want to do before I even get to my word is I want to pray over us. And I want, I want you to posture yourself in a place to receive today. Um, because your life is worth, is valuable enough to not waste the next half hour. Okay, it's the, it's the half hour you'll never get back. <laughs> so I want this time to be valuable for you and, and, and me. Amen? So let me pray over us. Father, thank you for the power of your spirit, which I believe is already here and already working. Your word says that you know the thoughts and the intentions, the motivations of our heart. And I ask now in this moment that you would prepare us for what you know we need. Even if sometimes my head or my pain or my past experiences don't want that thing for me. I ask, Father, for all of us that you give us the grace and the ability to receive today what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you are new to the Ramp Church family, a very warm welcome to you. I know you could have been so many other places on a Sunday morning, and it really means a lot to us that you choose to be here. Um, some of you are, are still consider yourselves new to the Ramp Church family, but you've been coming for, for weeks or even months. I met someone a couple weeks ago uh, who, who introduced themselves to me, and they said, I've actually been coming since September but this is only my second time in person. And so those of you joining us online, you're just as much a part of this space and this story as those uh, who are here in this room. But if you are new to the Ramp Church family, just want to encourage you, make a connection. So some of you have filled out the welcome card in the seat or online. And if you've heard something back from that, you, wanna, you want to go you know, further in communication, just encourage you to do that. If you've yet to hear back, maybe reach out again to us. Um, there are several people who, who, um, who I know have not heard from us yet. And so I'm, I followed up with the team this week, and some of the welcome cards are illegible. <laughs> so, just to let you know, maybe digital is the way you should, um, you should fill out those cards. So, if you've yet to receive an email or a text from us, it could be because we cannot read your handwriting. Um, it's maybe in hieroglyphics or something like that, and we don't have an ancient language expert on staff. So, um, be sure to go to ramp.church slash MCR, and you can see that the welcome card right there digitally if you want to, uh, to, to connect. We'd love to do that. Second... Um, we are, we're, we're going to start what we call a new here group. Now we have these throughout the year. If you've been a part of new here, you know, it's such a great space to connect. We're going to start one of those, another one of those, um, within the next couple months. And so stay tuned for that space. It'll happen on Sunday afternoons, immediately after service. We'll have a meal together and talk about, um, talk about what it looks like to be a part of the Ramp Church family and get to know you a bit. And I would love for you to be a part of that journey. Love to get to meet you. But we're in the middle of a chapter. We call our teaching series as chapters here at Ramp Church. 
So we're in, we're, we're, we're in the middle of a chapter in the story of Ramp Church where we're exploring what does it look like to be a people who are committed to the great commandment that Jesus gave us and the great commission. And really up until this point in this chapter, we focused solely on the great commandment, which is kind of a twofold commandment, love God, love others in short. And the message is, if you, if you haven't been a part of this chapter yet, they're incredible. I encourage you to go back on our YouTube or our podcast and catch up on those. But I have specifically focused um, the last couple messages on what I'm calling relational nutrients. So it's been a very practically focused teaching on how do we love others well. That's, that's really what it's about. How do we love others well? So um, I've talked about things like the, the, the five most important relationships you need in your life to thrive. And if, if we really look at the commandments of Jesus, we realize that the things he commands us to do are not because he loves watching the exercises of religious devotion. That like doesn't do anything. You know, he's not like up in heaven going, oh man, look, they're going to church. He's not impressed by church attendance. He's not impressed by um, the Christian words we use. It's not like, oh, uh, you know, he has a list of like Christian vocabulary words. He like ticks one off every time we use it. He's like, oh, they said blessed. Well done. Okay, good. They said God to another person in the, at, at school. I don't know what, you know, well done. He's, it's not like he's counting Christian words that we say. No, everything he tells us to do is with intention the intention and the goal to lead us to flourishing, to lead us to a place of thriving. And his commandments, the Bible says it like this, they're not burdensome. They're not meant to weigh us down. Jesus' invitation is actually to come to him and exchange commandments that are burdensome and receive commandments from him that are light. And the first thing you need to realize is, whether you call them commandments or not, every person in here lives by a set of commandments. If, maybe they haven't been written in an ancient book. Maybe, maybe they were invented by uh, the self-help person, uh, author, in your favorite self-help book. Maybe they were invented by the CEO of your favorite company. Maybe they were invented by the fashion industry icon you follow or a sports personality. Maybe they were invented by your own desires. Maybe you have a new one today than you came up with yesterday. If that is the way you live, then your commandment is, I live the way I want to live every day differently. That's your commandment. That's the commandment you don't disobey. Does that make sense? Everybody has a system of living and you've simplified life down to one, two, three things, that these are the things that I live by. And Jesus comes into that reality, into that storyline, and he says, because I know the way humans are designed, I had a little hand to play in the way your, your soul was orchestrated and made, I can actually give you commandments that lead to your flourishing. And if you follow them, you may in your mind call them commandments and obedience, but at the other end is not duty and obligation, it's life and thriving. Are you hearing me? Yeah. 
That's the path of following Jesus. It's not a one-time decision. It's not like a prayer I prayed where somebody says, well, are you saved? Yes, 30 years ago, I prayed a prayer that said I want to give my life to Jesus. And today, I just believe that that's, no, it's, it is that, but it's more, it's a way you live. It's the adopting of the Jesus code of life. And then it's figuring out how do I live that? How do, how do I, how do I, how do I infiltrate that into every facet of my life so that my finances aren't ruled by my own commandment? They're ruled by Jesus' commandment. Does that make sense? So that's why we're talking about in this series the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. So we're still on the commandment section. And today I'm going to talk about the next step in what we're learning as a community on how to love each other well. So this is a very practical message on what does it look like to love well? What does it look like to, to show each other genuine love? And the metaphor I'm using in, in, this, um, in this teaching are the idea of nutrients, of learning how that each of us are hardwired to need someone else, to need another person, and each of us has the ability to meet specific needs in people. And you can understand what are those needs and how can I meet them better. I, I like to think of it like this. It, the right relational nutrients are what makes the difference. The right relational nutrients are what makes the difference. Have you ever been in a, in a season in your life where you're going through something? You go out to coffee with somebody and you spend the entire hour just dumping all of your emotions on them. And then you leave that space and you're like, man, they are, oh, they gave me the best advice. And they didn't say anything. What actually happened was your need of having someone present with you did something in you. It, it, was, a, it was a relational nutrient that, that nourished your soul. And you left that space feeling energized and like you could go back into life again. Well, what happened? What, what happened there? It wasn't just that they had a great perfume on and that filled your... I mean, you know, what, what was actually happening in that space? There was a transaction that was happening. They showed up in a space and gave you, met a, a legitimate need that you have. And we, we see that God created us with needs. A lot of this, a lot of this teaching is based around the concept that is very, it's very... Um, uh, countercultural today because the because our Western culture tries to convince us that success in life is needing nothing, needing nobody, yeah. standing on my own two feet. I'm a self-made man, right? I just pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and I've, you know, and it's it's about disconnecting ourselves from needs, and needs are equivalent to weakness in modern society. So the whole idea that I have a need that's offensive to me. I don't have a need. I don't have a weakness. I don't have a deficit. So the whole idea is actually creating, first of all, an image that I don't have any needs. And then pursuing the reality that I don't have any needs. The, the problem is that never leads to life and flourishing. So the first step for all of us who, who swim in the waters of, of hyper-individualism is we've got to realize that I'm believing a lie about my own needs. And we see in Genesis um, that the first problem God solved was actually the problem of isolation. Adam had every single thing he needs, spirit, soul, and body. 
in God and in, in creation around him. But God still looked at that situation and said, it's not good that man is alone. And so he's, re he's recognizing you may have a perfect, unbroken relationship with God, but if you don't have a vibrant relationship with others, that place of isolation is, is identifying needs in your life. And, and so this, this teaching is about how do we understand the needs other people have and how do we meet those needs. I love this verse in Ephesians. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. This, this, this series, a little side note here, this series helps me understand phrases like this in the New Testament where the early church leaders in the New Testament, they speak often about how you treat one another. And I start to realize, why would they speak, why would they speak so often about that unless... People literally were doing life-on-life life journeying together. The only reason why they would need to speak about how to treat one another is because people were living close enough together to actually treat each other bad. But we often live so isolated that I don't even, I don't even, need, a, I don't even have a need for someone to correct me on the way I treat others because I'm not even around others. Does that make sense? I get in my car. I go to work. I clock into work. I do work. I clock out of work. I go home. I watch TV. I go to bed. Tomorrow, rinse and repeat. That's what we do. But there's something in the Jesus life, there's a call to do life with others. That gives us a context for much of the New Testament's um, um, uh, instruction. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up, look at this, according to their needs. Not according to the, the way you like to communicate or what you're into. Not according to your personality type. The talk that you give to others, this is the starting point for this relational nutrient. You have to be aware of their needs. You talk to them according to their need. Does that make sense? Have you been in a place where you're, you are needing something from somebody in a relationship, and it's like the, the way they come and what they're bringing in that is just like off. You know what I'm talking about? They are absorbed in their own world or their own needs, and you're sitting on the inside dying on the inside. I need something from this moment right now. What's happening? That need, that legitimate need is not being met because they're coming. They're not recognizing your needs. That's the way, and look at that, that it may benefit those who listen. And here's the thing. Oftentimes at this point in, in, in this teaching so far, people are going, you don't understand my past. You don't understand where I've come from. You don't understand all the, the hardships I've faced. Some, some people in this room, this room, you don't even know your, your, your biological parents, for example. Or you may have, you may have, have abuse, raised, raised with abuse. And these are not light things. They shape us. But here's, here's what I want everybody to, to, to leave today with this belief right here, this, this next principle. You can learn to give the specific relational nutrients someone needs. You can learn. This is a skill that you can learn. In other words, everybody has a different starting point. But if we just embrace that starting point and realize, I can learn, no matter my relational history, with God's help, I can learn to see the needs other, people's ha other people have in their lives, and I can learn how to meet those needs in a, in a, in a better way. Can we start there? Yeah. Everybody on board for that journey? So you can learn to give the specific relational nutrients someone needs. And I, I want to um, speak to those people who, just in case you've already disqualified yourself because this is already too touchy-feely for you. 
You're like, I did not come to church for a touchy-feely message from a guy who does not even know me. Maybe you're, you're saying, I'm a get-it-done kind of a person. I, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm, I, you know, I just get stuff done. Well, let, let me speak to you. In case you're telling yourself that, I recently read a study cited in the Harvard Business Review. It was by um, an HR company called Talent Smart. And they tested emotional intelligence alongside 33 other important workplace skills. And they found that emotional intelligence is, listen to this, the strongest predictor of performance. That emotional intelligence alone explains a full 58% of success in all types of jobs. So in case you just feel like this is for touchy-feely Christian people, this is for some business folks in the room as well. Of all the people that they studied at work, they found that 90% of top performers were all high in emotional intelligence. 90% of top performers. And of the bottom 20 per, and of the bottom um, of the lowest performers in the organization, only 20% were high in emotional intelligence. People with high EQ, emotional intelligence, make more money. An average of $29,000 more per year than people with a low degree of emotional intelligence. The link, this is what, this is what Talent Smart found. The link between emotional intelligence and earnings is so direct that every point, every percentage point increase in emotional intelligence adds $1,300 to an annual salary. Is that get it done enough for you? Look at this. These findings hold true for people in all industries, at all levels, in every region of the world, their studies found. We haven't yet been able to find a job in which performance and pay aren't tied closely to emotional intelligence. So, just in case you disqualified yourself from that, there's some proof that, um, of this principle right here. This next one. Learning the right relational nutrients will make you rich. Kidding, kidding, it's a joke, guys. Just do the next slide. In relationships, okay, okay. This is not a get-rich scheme. But the data does show it can help. It can help. So today, out of all the relational nutrients that we've been talking about, the last teaching was on being present with people. In other words, how are you there for people without words? And I just want to tell you, that's the foundation for, for all types of, of relational health. It's learning when do people just need my presence and how can I be there in ways that don't involve words. And in any interaction, I just want to tell you, if you don't know what to do, start there. Start there. So just start with presence. Because once you start to use words, it's a whole lot harder to not use them. But if you just start with presence and you start that, that situation or that relational time of showing them love with just being there, listening, asking great questions, repeating back their word, their, their, what they say in your own words, all of those types of presence types of nutrients, then when it's time to do what we're going to talk about today, you're going you're gonna to be, be properly positioned to do that. And then here's what we're talking about today. Life-giving words and how to use them. Life-giving words and how to use them. I love what uh, uh, the early church 
leader Peter says in his letter, 1 Peter 3.10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, who is not in that category? Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Hey, my name's on that list. Here's what he says to do. Let him keep his tongue. Do you know, I think 90% of yours and my relational problems would be solved if I could do this. Keep my tongue. Because the Bible says in another place, life and death is in the power of the tongue. James says that the tongue is like a fire, or it's like a rudder on a ship. And that's why Peter is, is putting so much weight on the ability to, to keep your tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. It's incredibly important what you do with your tongue. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says this. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Say grace. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer Everyone. Can, can I just give you a tip here? I love that Paul uses this metaphor, seasoned with salt. Uh, what is he, what's he trying to get at, get at? Anytime in conversation, you need to look for the thing in what the other person is saying that you can enhance the flavor of. Isn't that what salt does? You put salt on something because it enhances the flavor of it. That's what Paul is saying here. Be full of grace. This word grace means supernatural empowerment or help. It's when, it's, it's when God himself supports you in what you're doing. And so what Paul is saying is, look for that area of what someone else is saying, is expressing, and offer grace or support to that area. Season it with salt. So that you may know how to answer everyone. Isn't that amazing? That's, this is some practical stuff here. So that you may know how to answer everyone. Look for the area that they're saying that needs enhancing or, and, and amplify it. Proverbs 15.4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. Say life. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. I love, I love these, these metaphors. Because a tree is obviously something that produces fruit. So what, what's the writer here getting at? He's trying to say your words can be seeds... And if there are words that provide grace and benefit to someone else, they can actually, that seed can actually then produce fruit over time. I can prove it to you. Is there anything that, that, that you can remember that in a time of need that's, uh, 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 that someone brought to you that was life-giving or encouraging? There's probably something you can remember that a teacher said to you when you were eight years old. And you can still pull it up with perfect clarity. Why is that? Because life-giving words, they're a tree of life. They don't just give one time. They don't just meet my need now. They can actually be a, be a, a provide fruit for years to come. A perverse tongue crushes the spirit. You know, perversion is when you twist something. You twist the truth. And, and, and we all know how painful it is when we are misunderstood, often intentionally so by someone else. What is that? It's a perverse tongue. They're perverting or twisting your meaning, and it crushes our spirit. Your life-giving words plant seeds that produce fruit over and over and over. So what am I getting at here? This is what I'm getting at. Your words matter. They matter today. And if we can do anything, Ramp Church, 
as we're looking, as we're in this chapter of trying to learn how to be the people that can love well and be loved well by others, this has got to be foundational. We've got to realize my words matter in someone else's life. My words make a difference for their benefit or their harm. And I've got to get serious about my own tongue. So I want to talk about five words or categories of words that you have to know if you're going to have thriving relationships. Five categories of words that you have to know if you're going to have thriving relationships. And the first category is this, affirmations. You need to know how to affirm someone else using your words. You've got to have this skill if you want thriving relationships. What, what is affirmation? It's drawing attention to the good that you see in them. It's drawing attention to the good. The, the thing that I love about affirmation is it can be said to them in any season, at any time. They don't even have to have done something amazing. It's not even like they just, they just knocked you know, something out of the park. You know, it's not like they just landed this amazing client at work or just shipped this incredible product. Or it, it's just at any point, you can, you can see the good and identify it in them. And that's an affirmation. Affirmations do three things. This is the first thing they do. They spark belief. Affirmation helps me believe what is already true about myself. I love speaking on spiritual gifts. We've, we've, we've talked about spiritual gifts um, a few times throughout the life of Ramp Church. I teach on it actually in New Here, uh, that course I just mentioned a few minutes ago. We actually have a spiritual gifts test that, that, that people take that kind of identifies what are these spiritual gifts in my life. And I love talking about spiritual gifts. One of the reasons I love talking about it is because most people don't believe they're gifted. And when I teach on it, the light bulb goes off. And one of the, uh, here's, here's something to me that's incredibly difficult to see about yourself without someone else's help, your potential. And we should be those that can identify what is, on, what is in or on someone's life and then we say it to them, we point it out. That's an affirmation. It sparks belief. And there's something incredible about someone sparking that belief in themselves. Uh, when Stacy and I first moved to the UK, it'll be seven years that we moved to the UK in April. And when we first moved to the UK, we moved, our plan all along was to come to, to Manchester to start Ramp Church, which is uh, four and a half years old now. So welcome. I'm glad you're a part of the Ramp Church story. Um, but we moved seven years ago, and we moved to be a part of a, of a charity that works in Eastern Europe with orphan care and trafficking, human trafficking prevention and things like that. And they brought us on specifically to start this new project. Well, shortly after we moved, like within three weeks, okay, now we, we sold our house, we sold nearly everything we owned, um, and we moved to the UK. Within three weeks, um, because of a governance change in the charity we were working on, all the funding for the project that we were brought over with was gone. So Stacy's position, gone. My position, very much changed. And so now we're in the UK and we're sitting here with our whole family. We have three girls and we've moved everything here and we don't even know what we're going to be doing now. 
We're like, what is, what is happening? Uh, there was even a period of time where we're believing God for groceries on the table. I mean, it was that kind of a season. And we, we were having Zoom calls. With, it was FaceTime or something. We didn't even know what Zoom was back then in the pre-COVID days. And uh, yeah, Skype. Remember that? That old, that old technology called Skype. Remember that? Yeah. So, um, so we, were, we had some meetings with some pastoral advisors in our lives. And um, they probably weren't pretty meetings. It was probably us just like... Um, talking about how awful life was and crying and then them trying to figure out what to do on the other end of Skype. Um, but in that season where we could not see anything admirable about our lives, I mean, we're coming over here because we're like, we're about to f- fulfill some dreams and you know, do amazing things in life. And now you come over here you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Stacy's not doing anything. <laughs> you know, I mean, now I'm trying to figure out how are we going to eat. It's this whole storyline. And and I will never forget one of the responses from one of those leaders. This is, what they, this is what they said in the middle of this like very seemingly my life is falling apart kind of a situation. They said, you know what I just love about where you guys are? There's still a sweetness in your heart and your mind towards God and towards other people. And they were identifying, there's just, you haven't gotten bitter about the situation. And one of the reasons I'll never forget that, they didn't provide anything that I didn't have. They were affirming something that was real about me or real about the situation that I couldn't see myself. And do you know what that did? All they did was point out something that was there anyway. It filled me with this energy to lean back into the situation and go, God, what do you want to do in me or through me through this time? All they did was just mention something they see in my life that's already there. That's affirmation. The first thing affirmation does is it sparks belief. The second thing is this. The second thing is it finds the effort. For, to, for affirmations to work, they need to acknowledge someone's effort, legitimate effort. So instead of, you have such a great smile, it lights up the room. I, and there are many people in here with great smiles. Well done. But that doesn't take effort. Like when you, when you pull your face like this, yeah, it just, there's a smile there. Try this one instead. I love the way you work to make people feel wanted when you greet them. You see the difference between those affirmations? One is just something that is, there's no effort involved. Sorry, this is the smile I have, guys. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I mean, it's just the one I got. But someone working to make someone else feel valued or seen or heard or understood, that's effort. And that's really when, that's really when affirmations start to hit home, is when you're identifying places of effort. So instead of, you're so smart, try this. It's great how much effort and thought you put into your projects at work. You see, what I, you see the difference between those two things? Just, it's just a second thought. You're thinking just past that initial thought of, man, you're so smart. Let's identify the effort. Number three, here's what affirmations do. They get specific. The more specific your affirmation is, the more power it has. Are you hearing me? The more specific an affirmation is, the more power it has. So if you can get very specific about the thing you're identifying in them, then the more power that has to actually create or, 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 or meet a relational need that they have, the more potent the nutrient is in their life. So the first thing, the first relational nutrient, the category of words you must know to have thriving relationships is affirmation. The second one 
is encouragement. Encouragement. And encouragement is it's expressing belief in someone's ability. If affirmation is the thing you can give someone at any moment, no matter how they're feeling or where they're at in life, encouragement is what you bring them when they are low. Does that make sense? So an affirmation can be, it's, it's building toward the relational or emotional bank account that I can then withdraw at any moment. Encouragement is when they are discouraged. Okay, I love this verse. Uh, excuse me, this quote from Dr. Dr. John Townsend, who his work is, is the backbone for much of the things I'm teaching in this series. Encouragement is when you lend, I love that word, you lend your authentic and true belief in the other person until they can own that belief for themselves. And then they can use it independently of you. Isn't that a beautiful description of that? So encouragement is when your belief in the other person, something in your heart rises up, you give that belief to them. You're lending your own belief until that belief can become so real to them that then they believe it themselves. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever had that experience in your own life? I'm sure all of us have, where you are in need of something and someone else brings what you need. Look at this in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says this. We urge you, brothers and sisters, is, 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 is what the actual translation of that says. It's not gender specific, guys. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. I wish that last phrase wasn't on there, to be honest. But... <laughs> It is, ladies and gents. So, encourage the faint-hearted, be patient with all. And let me give you an example of what encouragement looks like um, in practice. Here's the, here's the types of thing that your encouragement statements say. The struggles you're having are real. So I'm acknowledging you are in a tough spot. But when I look at how you've fill in the blank with something real in their life, something you see there, when I look at how you've, I can't think of a better person to do this job or be this person's parent, or live in that family, or be in this situation. Are you, are you, are you with me? You're, you're identifying the deficit and the struggle and the challenge, and then you're saying, but because of this thing, you, you can make it through this. I wanna encourage you in this. Proverbs 12.25 says, worry weighs a person down, an encouraging word cheers a person up. So the, the first one's affirmation, the second one's encouragement, the, the third category is this, hope. Hope. Have you ever had a word of hope that just keeps you pushing forward? What's hope? Hope is this. Hope is reality-based confidence in the future. Reality-based confidence in the future. Hope is the relational nutrient which provides reality-based confidence in a positive outcome down the road. Okay? That's hope. While encouragement targets your present situation, hope focuses on the future. Okay, look what, look what Dr. Townsend says about this. I love this. When we feel hopeful about the future of our relationships, our health, and our careers, we can persevere even when a positive outcome seems unlikely at the moment. So hope is that thing when you're in the middle of a situation where every circumstance looks like there's no way this can turn out for my good. Some of you are in that situation right now. It's a friendship, it's a job situation, it's a marriage, it's a parent-child relationship, it's, it's, it's many different things. And you're in the middle, and when you, just, when you take inventory, 
when you start to, 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 to do an audit on all of the, 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 the balances of those relationships or that situation, things don't look too good. You can't add up all the numbers and go, hmm, yeah, this is going to turn out right in the end. But how many know your future is not just determined by the circumstances you can see or understand? Your future is determined by more than that. And when you are a child of God, you realize that he can actually take a circumstance that looks like it is against you, and he can, tur- he can actually turn that for your benefit and for your good. That's, that's where hope comes from. We realize we can have hope because God has been with us. I love Mark chapter four. Jesus tells a parable where he says the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's like the smallest of all seeds. He says a mustard seed. And in that seed, after that seed grows, it becomes the greatest of all plants. And the point is this. If you can find the grain of hope in your situation you will then be able to produce the fruit that's going to get you through that situation. Are you hearing me? And let me tell you, Ramp Church, sometimes you can be the hope bringer to someone else in our faith family. Sometimes you don't just need to pray that they get better. You need to be the person who brings seeds of hope into their life. You need to be the person who confronts them with seeds of hope. And this is what it can sound like. If I thought you couldn't do this, I would tell you. Have you, ever heard, have you ever heard somebody get, bring you empty hope? They're just like, it's just all going to work out. You're like, thanks. I appreciate that. That's why I love, this is a real, hope has to come from reality-based confidence. Not just like, oh, it always, it always turns out okay. Well, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> so there, where's the reality in this? Well, I, if, I thought, if I thought you couldn't do this, I would tell you. You have those non, no-nonsense people in your life? It's like when they say something, you're like, yeah, they meant it. Yeah. <laughs> They meant that. Those are the kind of people you want to bring hope to you, isn't it? Because you know when they say it, they really mean it. Because they don't, they don't say fluffy things. Now, fluffy people in the room, we need you too, okay? <laughs> I'm not dissing on the fluffy people. If, if, that's, if that's, hey, if that, roll with that. If that's where you live, we need you to make us feel good on, on every other day. But on the day when I need someone, when I need to believe deep that, that someone really thinks what it is that they're saying to me, I need a no-nonsense person. They're the person, they rarely sell me something good. But when they do, if I thought you couldn't do this, I would tell you. But considering these new plans or this new commitment that you've made or the, thing that I've heard you, the things I've heard you say over this conversation or your track record in the past, the reality-based confidence, I have confidence you'll get through this. I have confidence you're going to get to the other side. That's a hope nutrient that every relationship needs. Hope is the energy source which gives us strength to carry on. Number three, hope. Number four, forgiveness. This is a tough one. Forgiveness. Affirmation, encouragement, hope. But sometimes the relational nutrient we need to carry on is something that really can only be done with God's help. And that's canceling someone else's debt against us. Here's what Ephesians tells us. It's going to be unsurprising. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. 
just as God through Christ has forgiven you. This is what I love to say about church, the church environment, is church is not a safe place because you won't get hurt. Church is a safe place because we should be a people who are committed to forgiveness. If you have walked into a church, or any community for that matter, and they have, they have said that phrase, this is a safe place. I, I want to know what do you mean by that? Because if what you mean by that is, I'll, n- I'll not get offended here, I don't believe you. What I've said since before Ramp Church started is, if I haven't offended you yet, you just haven't known me long enough. Now, I'm not prophesying that into our relationship. I'm just saying. Everybody's like, wow, he's intense. I just mean to say I'm human. And I'm not trying to offend people, but the people I love the most, that I try the hardest not to offend, they're actually the people that I offend the most. My wife, my kids. So if I offend them, I'll probably offend you too. But what makes this a safe place is There's commitment that's deeper than offense. Does that make sense? In other words, I know this. If I offend Damien, he's not hitting the road. That's what I know. That he's committed to walking with me through the offense that we just experienced. And here's, if you've ever been there, if you've ever been on that journey with somebody else, you know that on the other side of that offense is actually a closer relationship than if the offense never happened in the first place. Come on, that is worthy of an applause. You know that to be true. Yeah, come on. You know that to be true. If I'm committed enough to you, to work through all the assumptions and things I thought you meant and things that you really did mean and, and then talk about the things I really did mean and sometimes the thoughts that I had towards you that sometimes were like, I'll let them walk out in the crosswalk first even though the light's still red. Some of those kind of thoughts, you know what I mean? Like, even in those situations, when I'm honest about that and then I see they don't run the other way, do you know what that makes me do in that relationship? It, doesn't make, it makes me lean in deeper. I want to I tell them more of the things I'm struggling with. I want to tell them more of the things that could potentially be offensive to them. And do you know, what, you know what's on the bottom of that pile? Genuine, authentic love. That's what's on the bottom of that pile. But you don't get, you don't get there by pretending everything's okay. You don't get that by false, safe relationships. So if, if this is going to be a safe place for us, Ramp Church, it's got to be the real, the real thing, safe place. Everything else is not safe. You're hearing me. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. This is, you want to know what forgiveness is? This is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is saying, you broke it, but I'll repair it. Forgiveness is when the innocent party pays the price. 
This is, this is how justice works. Justice demands, true justice demands, there is always a price paid for a wrongdoing. And there's a whole theological, if you're switched on right there, there's a whole theological thing we can go down with sin and the cost of our sin and what Jesus did for you and I, which is where forgiveness starts. But forgiveness is saying, you broke it, but I will repair it. It is saying, the innocent one pays. And let me tell you, when I get a short comment towards me that I knew come from, like that comes from a bad place towards me, for me to cover that with love you know who's paid the price for that? I've paid the price for that. Just even in that small thing, that requires forgiveness. But let me show you what forgiveness isn't. This is just as important to understand. Forgiveness is not denial. That's, this is the biggest one I see in church. Uh, this is what we say. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was bad. Okay? They spoke about you wrongly to someone else. Forgiveness is not just denying that it happened. Okay? Forgiveness is seeing the debt counting up how much that debt is, and then paying the price for that debt. Are you hearing me? Forgiveness is not denial. It isn't trust. It also doesn't mean if you've been legitimately hurt in a relationship, that trust has been rebuilt. That's two different qualities of, of, uh, and characteristics of relationship. Someone may not be trustworthy with that relationship anymore, but you've released them from the burden of having to pay any price for the wrong that they did to you. You hearing me? Forgiveness is also not healing. So when you have forgiven someone, you may still have to do your own work between you and God and even a counselor to work out how do I find healing in my own heart and my own mind. I've let them go. I've said you don't have to pay the price for that. I'll pay the price, but the price I'm paying is I'm going to counseling. <laughs> I'm figuring out how to get my junk together because that wounded me deep. But I'm not asking them to pay that price anymore. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't denial, trust, healing, and it's not restoration. Does that make, do you see what I mean? So there doesn't have to be this buddy-buddy like, yeah, yeah, we're back where we were. Maybe you aren't back where you were. But there has been forgiveness. And if there is a willingness to go back where you were, you can go there and you need, you have, as a, as a believer in Jesus, you have an obligation to go there and to do whatever you can to, to restore what has been lost. But that is a journey. Are you hearing me? So what does forgiveness do for you when you're the one forgiving? It does this. Forgiveness places us on God's operating table and gives him permission to change us. That's what it does. If you want to figure out how to change yourself, then, then don't forgive. But if you want God's help in changing you, that requires forgiveness. When we don't forgive, we run the risk of giving control of our lives to the offender. Did you hear me? When we don't forgive. Last thing, and I'm finishing up here. Four things, forgiveness. Last thing is this, celebration. This is a relational nutrient all of us need. Do you guys know those people who love to party? I don't mean Manchester Club and party. That's not what I mean. Some of y'all went straight there. You're like, do I ever? I was there last night. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I'm talking about they find the wins in life and they celebrate. They just love to celebrate the wins. That's a relational nutrient. And this is what it does. This is what's actually happening in us. Celebration puts us in the moment. Some of you, you're so focused on doing other stuff, you never celebrate anything that you did. You're just living from the next thing to do. It's just like, just as you accomplish one thing, well, the next thing, 
You ever seen a you ever seen a football coach at the end of the match and they just want a big match and they're asking, well, you know, what are your thoughts? Let's reflect on this match. And they're like, well, I'm just actually just thinking about the next match. And you're like, okay, I'd be love to be on your team. No, you're you're missing the point there. You uh, celebration puts you in the moment. I promise you, if you go into that into that dressing room, that team is going bananas. They're not thinking about anything else. Stresses with family or and what? They're in the moment. It's what celebration does. It's also a multiplier. Celebration when you celebrate wins, it leads you to more wins. It's human nature. We gravitate towards the things we celebrate. And it also connects you to other people. Hopefully you're partying with others and not alone. That's not called a party when you're alone. So it connects you to other people. Ben, would you come up, please? And I want to close with, with, with some scriptures. You know, one of, the, one of the things as Jesus followers that we have the opportunity to do We have the ability to connect with a source of relational nutrients that's outside of ourselves. And I love this idea of celebration. And there's a story in Luke, Luke 15. It's a parable Jesus told. And in this parable, there was a father who gave his son an inheritance because his son wanted it early. And his son blew it bad. Like bad, bad. Wasted it all. And as the son decided, made the decision to, to, to return home, he did not know what was awaiting him. And the shock factor in this story, Jesus knew the shock factor as he's telling it, is there was probably nobody in his audience who could imagine the father in that story responding any other way but by rebuking and disciplining the son. But the way Jesus tells the story, the father plays a different role. And when the son comes back home, after coming to his senses, is the way Jesus tells the story. This is what happens. The father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the best meal we have. Let's feast and celebrate. He goes on to say this. This son of mine was dead, he's alive again, he was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Do you know what gives us the ability as the people of God to celebrate each other? To provide relational nutrients for one another? It's because we serve a God who in spite of everything 
that could disqualify you from being celebrated, he celebrates you. He celebrates your return. He celebrates you coming back to him, looking for him, pursuing him. Some of you, it's an act of worship that you're even in the room today. (laughs) You're like, Pastor, if you knew what was going on in my life, the whole fact that I showered and got out of bed is a miracle. Do you know what he's doing? He's celebrating that today. He is celebrating you. What, where does our ability, what's the source? It's not just we muster up, we're just better people than the people who aren't in church. I promise stick around long enough, we will prove to you that is not the case. Where's the source? The source is we serve a God who we know is celebrating us. We know in the middle of our darkest moments, He still believes. I want to read one more verse over you. Zephaniah 3.17 is one of my favorite verses. For the Lord your God is living among you. Whether you see it or not, He's in your situation. He's mighty to save. He's a mighty Savior. And He will to take delight in you. You may not feel delightful, but He will take delight in you. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That phrase, rejoice over you, comes from a root word that means to spin around under violent emotion. I know you think God is like this austere judge, like sitting up in heaven waiting waiting to declare your judgment and he is a judge it's a different message but he's also someone who's dancing over you with violent exuberance today you know where the life that we have to give to others comes from it comes from a revelation that that is the God we serve stand to your feet